Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. May I give you a timeline of the Bible in about 30 seconds. Here we go. A gazillion years B.C., God creates the heavens and the earth. We don't know when. Then he creates Adam and Eve. Their descendants become so wicked that God wipes them out with the flood. God starts over with Noah. Noah and his family populate. They become so wicked that God has to give different languages to people at the Tower of Babel to separate the evil humans. Then about 2000 BC, God chooses one man, Abraham, to become the father of the chosen people, the Jews. They multiply. But in 722, the Jews have become so evil, God wipes them out, the northern kingdom, by the Assyrians. And then in 586 BC, the southern kingdom of the Jews, Judah, gets taken off for 70 years in chains to Babylon. They get to come back. About 33 AD, the Jews and the Romans crucify the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, and then in 70 AD, the Romans are brought in, they destroy the Jewish nation, which doesn't exist again until 1948. There's going to be one more destruction of the world at the end of time when Jesus returns in the clouds, raises the dead, believers go to heaven, unbelievers go to hell, and then the earth is destroyed by melting, by fire. There's the Bible in about 30 seconds. What I want to do on this program, let's go way back B.C. to the flood of Noah. We live in the days of Noah. I mean, there's so much immorality and confusion. Uh, we're an evil generation. Let's learn all that we can from the flood of Noah. Open your Bible to Genesis chapter 6, and let's pray. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us now about our land that we love, our world that we love, and how we are in desperate need of repentance and in need of Christ. God, speak to us now through the flood of Noah. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 6, starting at verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What a depressing estimation of mankind. And that's the first lesson for our program. Mankind is wicked. The Protestant reformers, Martin Luther and John Calvin in the 1500s, believed in something called the total depravity of man, that we are thoroughly wicked. That doesn't mean we're as wicked as we possibly could be, but it's infected everybody a lot. What do we do with the doctrine of the total depravity of man today? 
Well, in our culture, it's very important that you have high self-esteem. You need to know that you're wonderful. You're just incredible. You're godlike. And the Bible says, no, you're not. You're a sinner worthy of hell. We need a savior. Two very different estimations of human beings, sinners who deserve hell and need a savior, or you're wonderful. You're godlike. <laughs> I know a certain evangelist and he was talking to a college student and the college student said to him, I am God. And my friend said, do you know how heretical it is that you think you're God? And the, the student said, well, I think you're God too. We're all part of God. <laughs> well, that's the New Age teaching that we're all part of God. You're God, I'm God. You know, if you can Google this, Oprah Winfrey said on her show, you can watch this on YouTube, quote, I was raised a Baptist. I used to believe that Christ came to earth to die for our sins. Now I believe Christ came to earth to get us in touch with our own inner Christ consciousness. In other words, we're all the Christ. No, we're not. The Bible says we're sinners, we're depraved, and we need a savior. I talked to someone who said, Pastor Brock, I don't trust people. <laughs> and I said, neither do I. I don't trust me. And I get this from John chapter two, where it says, Jesus was entrusting himself to no man, for he whom himself knew what was in man, which is, Total depravity. When I was a boy, I was raised in the conservative Missouri Synod Lutheran Church. And here's a prayer that I prayed every week before we'd go up for communion. I still remember it. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities with which I've ever offended thee and justly deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and I sincerely repent of them. And I pray thee of thy boundless mercy, and because of the innocent, bitter sufferings of death and death of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, my Lord, be merciful to me, and forgive me, Father, a poor, sinful being. I love that prayer. And you know why I love it? Number one, it has a very low view of mankind, very realistic, but it has a very high view of the mercy of God. And do you understand this? If you don't know you're a sinner, the grace of God will make no sense to you. I've shared this before, but years ago, I was watching my least favorite TV show, The Phil Donahue Show. In one of his programs, he had the whole studio audience sing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. The saved a wretch like me. Phil waves his arm, stop, stop. He, and he, he claims to be a Catholic. Stop, stop. See, that's what's wrong with religion. And he said, I want you to know, Phil Donahue was not a wretch. Phil Donahue was a pretty nice guy. And I'm sitting there thinking, Phil, you don't get it. Until you open your eyes to see you're a wretch, that you're a sinner, you'll have no need for Jesus Christ. Uh, William F. Buckley was a Catholic, and he said something that I thought was profound. He said, the one teaching of the Christian church that is empirically verifiable, that you can prove, is the doctrine of original sin. <laughs> and his point was, read the newspaper, watch television, look in the mirror, we're all sinful. Now for the saddest verse in the Bible. Let's look at verse 6. 
And the Lord was sorry that he had made man upon the face of the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Next lesson, God sorrows over our sin. If you're a parent and your child is a drug addict, you know how that breaks your heart. When you sin, when I sin, it grieves God to the heart. So let me ask you a question. Do you sorrow over your sin? When you sin, does it bother you that you've hurt yourself, you've hurt God, you've probably hurt your family? Does your sin bother you? I'm not saying you should kick yourself for eternity. Christian, when you sin, you ask God's forgiveness, you bounce back up and you move on. But does sin ever bother you? It should. There was a, a Puritan preacher in the 1600s in England by the name of John Owen, quote, I do not understand how a man can be a true believer for whom sin is not the greatest burden, sorrow, and trouble. Did you hear that? He doesn't think you can be saved if you don't know you're a sinner. I agree. Um, or we'll turn to Jonathan Edwards, Puritan preacher in America in the 1700s, quote, When I look into my heart and take a view of my wickedness, it looks like an abyss infinitely deeper than hell. The more a true saint loves God, the more he mourns for his sin. One more quote, D. Whitney said, The closer you get to Christ, the more you will hate sin, for nothing is more unchristlike than sin. Because Jesus hates sin, the more like him you grow, the more you will grow to hate sin. And the more you hate sin, the more you will grieve whenever you realize that you have embraced something which killed your Savior. Are you never sorrowful for causing the death of Christ? Think of what your sin costs the most pure, loving, and gracious one who ever lived. Consider how others are now in hell for the same sins you have committed. So, do you ever grieve for your sin? And, and let me ask this question. Do you ever grieve for America's sin? Years ago, there was a three-day prayer and fasting conference in St. Louis, Missouri. Christians came from all over the country to an auditorium to pray for America for three days. It was wonderful, it was a powerful time, but I'll tell you the thing I remember. In the midst of the conference, a woman dressed in black with a black veil covering her face got to the microphone and she said, let us grieve for America. Let's get on our knees. All over the stadium, people got on their knees and we prayed. She started, first let's pray for the millions of babies we have killed in our abortion clinics. Let us pray for the pornography that America exports all over the world. Let us pray for the abused children in our land. Let's pray for all the broken marriages in our land. Let's pray about all the, let's grieve for all the violence in the streets. And, and, and I mean, she went on and I don't cry much. I was crying. The whole place was crying. And you know, uh, we need to grieve over what has happened to our nation. God sorrows over sin. Let's look at verse 7. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, from man to animals to creeping things to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Here's the next lesson. God is patient, 
but not forever. There were, there were thousands of years between the creation of the world, Adam and Eve, and the flood. God was patient for a long time, but then he had to step in. I think God has been very patient with the United States of America. But God periodically steps in. I think of herpes. I think of AIDS. I think of 9-11. I think now of COVID. And I think of all the social unrest and the rioting now in America. God's a very patient God, but sometimes he finally says, okay, you don't want me, you don't get me. You get what you have created. Verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now I want, I want you to hear this. The central theme of the Bible, I believe, are three words. Sin, judgment, grace. Now follow this. Adam and Eve sinned. They ate the fruit. They got judgment, kicked out of the garden. They got grace. God made them close. All right? They had two boys, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. That's the sin. He got judgment. He had to wander the face of the earth the rest of his life. But he got grace because God put a mark on him so nobody would kill him. Now we move to Noah. Sin, the universal sin of mankind. Judgment, the flood. Grace, God saved Noah. I think you can do this with the greatest event in the Bible, the cross of Christ. Sin, the universality of sin. Judgment. Jesus bears our punishment on the cross. He takes the judgment of God on his own back. Grace. So now we're all saved. <laughs> and probably if you're a believer for a while, you've experienced, sometime you committed a sin. And you experienced some of God's judgment. But then he showed you his grace. Let's look at verse 9. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Here's the next lesson. God rewards righteousness. The reason Noah lived longer than everybody else is because he was righteous. Now, I got a question from one of our TV viewers who asked, uh, I'll read it here. What about the promise in the fourth commandment where it says good children will live long lives? I have known good children who died in infancy, and I've known evil children who live long lives. So what is going on? <laughs> That's a good question. And what I said to her was, the general principle of scripture is, you follow God, you be righteous, you're going to live longer. You obey your parents, you're going to live longer. But God put the book of Job in the Bible to say, there are exceptions. Job is a righteous man who got clobbered with suffering. So the general principle is obey your parents, obey God, you'll live longer. But there are exceptions. Look back to verse 9, though. There's a problem with verse 9. Let's, it says in verse 9, Noah was a righteous man. Do you see the problem with that? Romans chapter 3 says, no one is righteous. No, not one. So what does it mean? that Noah is righteous. It gets a little harder in verse 9. It says, Noah was blameless. Well, what does that mean? Is anybody blameless? We're all sinners. I think what it means is 
blameless in comparison to the rest of the people that lived in his neighborhood. Uh, uh, we know that N Noah was a sinner because in chapter 9 of Genesis, he gets drunk. So righteous, blameless means generally. It doesn't mean sinless perfection. I think the definition of a righteous person is, is the second half of verse 9 where it says, Noah walked with God. To be a righteous person doesn't mean you're perfect. In fact, you'll stumble as you walk with God. But when you do stumble, you bounce back up, get forgiven, and you keep walking with God. So I think that's what it means when it says Noah was righteous and blameless compared to the other people. But he was a sinner. But he walked with God when he sinned and got back up. All right. Let's look at verse 22. Skip down to verse 22. Thus... God tells Noah to make an ark, verse 22, Thus Noah did, according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So here's the next lesson. Be smart. Obey. <laughs> I think it was probably hard for Noah to obey God and build this big ark with maybe his neighbors laughing at him in the middle of the land and no clouds in the sky. Uh, it was probably hard for Noah to obey but it's harder not to obey God. And his neighbors found that out as they were drowning. Hard as it is, Christian, to obey God, it's harder not to obey God. If God is asking you to do something difficult, I encourage you and me, let's just bite the bullet and do it, knowing ultimately it's easier to obey God than disobey him. There's a story of a fire brigade. They had a Dalmatian dog that would always jump on the fire engine and they'd go fight fires. One day they all jumped aboard, they go fight the fire. Um, the fireman says to the dog, he puts him under a tree and says, stay, stay. They go off and fight the fire. The fire spread beyond the house to the trees of the neighborhood. When the fire was put out, the fireman comes back to the tree, which has been burnt to the ground, and charred under the tree was his dog. And he said, that's the thing about that dog. It always did what I told it to. <laughs> you know, Christians, I think God is looking for people who will be willing to do the hard thing for him, knowing ultimately we'll be blessed this life or the next, for obeying God. Last lesson. This, the last lesson is this. The new ark is Jesus. In the Old Testament, the, the way you got saved from the flood, you got into the ark. In the New Testament, the new ark is Jesus. There's going to be a destruction of this world at the end of time. The way you get into the ark and be safe from that destruction, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. I get, I get this from 1 Peter chapter 3. Christ went, after he died on the cross, and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, Noah and his family, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So again, the main point I want you to get is there's going to be another judgment of this planet. You need to get into the ark. The new ark is Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. Run to him to be saved from what eventually will come to this planet. And I'll close with this. The year was 1916, four years after the sinking of the Titanic. A young man stood up at a meeting in Hamilton, Canada and said these words. I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on a plank that awful night, the tide brought Mr. John Harper of Glasgow on a piece of the wreck near me. Man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I am not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore him away, but again they brought him closer again. Man, are you saved now? No, I said, I cannot honestly say that I am. He said again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Shortly afterward, he went down and there alone in the night with two miles of water underneath me, I believed. I am John Harper's last convert. I want to put that to you. Are you saved? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? If the second coming of Christ happened right now or your death happened right now, don't put this off. Don't think about it for a three. This is the day to be saved. And I'm going to sing a song right now about not putting off getting into the new ark, Jesus Christ. Amen. Here's an old spiritual. You got a hunger in your heart. You got a thirsting in your soul. I'm gonna say, don't wait for another day. Yea, to be redeemed. If your daytimes are dark and your nighttimes are worse, better read the good book and memorize you a verse. Some seed falls on weeds and some falls on stone, but them that falls on good ground the Lord will call his own. You got a hunger in your heart, you got a thirsting in your soul. I'm gonna say, don't wait for another day, yea, to be redeemed. Noah builded an ark, and they laughed down the line. But when the flood came, it was Noah who was dry. Judgment is the flood now, Gabriel will blow his horn. And where will you hide your guilty hands with all your pockets torn? You got a hunger in your heart. Thirsting in your soul I'm gonna say Don't wait for another day Yea, to be redeemed There's confusion here And the wicked seem to win Ah, but the Lord's keeping tally On the wages of sin what good is your profit and whereabout is your gold if you gain the whole wide world and lose your everlasting soul you got a hunger in your heart you 
you've got a thirsting in your soul. I'm gonna say, don't wait for another day, yea, to be redeemed. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we ask Pastor Brock questions regarding the Bible. Pastor Brock, our first question, what do you say to someone who says they will convert, but they will do it later on in their life? And I had a teenager say, you know, I'll, I'll become a Christian, but I want to have fun first. And you know what you say to that person? He who waits till midnight to repent often dies at 1130. It's the dumbest decision in the world to say, I'll wait till later to accept Christ. You could die in 10 seconds from a heart attack. So uh, that's what I would say. And why do people want to wait? I mean, yeah, the joy of being a Christian. Yeah, and like being a Christian is a curse or something? Exactly. Let, let me get drunk instead? Uh-uh, that just makes no sense. I don't understand it either. <laughs> Didn't God create us in His image, so aren't we basically good? Yeah, people will say, well, I think all mankind is basically good. We're all in God's image. It's true we were all created in God's image, but something happened. It's called the fall of mankind mm -hmm. in the yep. garden. Ever since the fall, we have something called original sin. We're born sinners and it all, again, some people don't like the doctrine of original sin, but it's in Romans 5 and look at the evidence, everybody ends up being a sinner. So yeah, yeah. Does total depravity mean we are as wicked as we possibly can no. be? No, and when, when I said in the sermon that the reformers believe in total depravity, that doesn't mean I'm as possibly wicked as I possibly okay. could be, but it doesn't mean total depravity. Sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, it didn't just affect my mind, it affects my relationships, my emotions, it affects every part of being a human. It definitely affects your body because you die now because of sin. Exactly. Yeah. Do you believe we are in the last days? You know, we got to answer that only the Lord knows. Mm -hmm. I get nervous when TV preacher says, well, this has happened, this has happened, so we're in the end. We could be here another thousand years. We just don't know. So live like it's the end, and maybe it is the way things are going, but boy, haven't we had turmoil in this nation and the world That's the, the last year or two. Yeah. Isn't it best to say that God allows suffering, but that he doesn't cause it? Well, if you read Amos chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Does a disaster come against a city unless the Lord has done it? God talking to Moses in Exodus 4, Who makes man deaf, dumb, seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Exactly. So there, 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 we got to maintain that, even though it can be difficult to understand. Yeah. One last question there, Mom. All right. Does baptism save us? Well, you know, it does. what saves us is the death of Christ. Mm -hmm. But Paul says in Rome, uh, Romans 6, we're baptized into that saving death. So there's a connection. In 1 Peter 3, it does say baptism saves us. He uses those words, but not the removal of dirt from the body, it says. So we're saved by Christ's death, and, but be baptized. There you go. Thank you for joining us today on The Pastor's Study. Thank you for watching The Pastor's Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. 
If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the pastor's study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week. Mm-hmm.